welcome back everyone to Inflammatory Content. Today we're going to talk about something a little different. Not immunology, not microbiology, but genetics. This is another favorite subject of mine. Today we will be discussing novel therapeutic approaches for treating Fragile X Syndrome. We should first start by talking about what Fragile X Syndrome is. This is a genetic form of intellectual disability and autism. The most prevalent genetic form, in fact. Seizures are common in patients with Fragile X Syndrome. Thus, quality of life is significantly impacted by this disease. Intriguingly, patients with Fragile X Syndrome have been noted to have elongated facial features. So what's the cause of Fragile X Syndrome? As mentioned previously, it is a genetic disease. More specifically, it is an X-linked disease, as the name Fragile X implies. In fact, when looking at a karyotype, a Fragile X chromosome looks rather different than a normal chromosome. It has pinches towards one end of each of the sister chromatids. It was thought to appear fragile, hence the name. So what exactly is going on in this abnormal chromosome? Patients with Fragile X syndrome have greater than 200 trinucleotide repeats in the FMR1 gene. Specifically, these are CGG repeats, and they fall in the 5' untranslated region. Healthy individuals only have around 20 trinucleotide repeats. This particular trinucleotide repeat disorder is different than a disease like Huntington's disease, for example. In Huntington's disease, the trinucleotide repeats are in the coding region, which leads to the production of a pathogenic protein. Conversely, in Fragile X syndrome, the trinucleotide repeats land in a non-coding region. Somehow, the presence of a high number of these trinucleotide repeats leads to loss of neuronal FMRP, the protein encoded by the FMR1 gene. FMRP is known to suppress neuron hyperexcitability. Therefore, patients with Fragile X syndrome have lost the ability to suppress excess neuroexcitation, which may explain why seizures are common in these individuals. So, how does this repeat expansion inhibit protein production? The precise mechanism by which this process occurs is not fully understood. It has been noted that the repeat expansion in Fragile X syndrome patients is highly methylated. Therefore, there is an association between repeat methylation and gene silencing. Several researchers have posited that this trinucleotide methylation may drive heterochromatin formation at the promoter. Now, there is no treatment for Fragile X syndrome, but there have been some really interesting recent developments. In 2015, Park and colleagues published a paper in Cell demonstrating that a CRISPR-Cas9 approach may be effective for treating Fragile X syndrome. In this study, the authors used CRISPR-Cas9 to excise out the trinucleotide repeats in Fragile X syndrome-derived inducible pluripotent stem cells. Astoundingly, deletion of the repeats led to demethylation of the CPG island promoter. Demethylation of the promoter in turn led to increased transcription and translation of FMR1 and FMRP, respectively. 
Today, I would like to highlight a paper that builds on this report. In 2016, Sean Liu in Rudolph Janich's lab at the Whitehead Institute developed a novel technique for gene therapy. Unlike the conventional CRISPR-Cas9 approach, this technique enables specific DNA demethylation or methylation. Specifically, this technology uses a dead Cas9 with no cutting ability. Instead, dead Cas9 acts as a chaperone of sorts. It can be attached to TET or DNMT enzymes for demethylation or methylation, respectively. In the paper I would like to highlight today, Sean Liu and Rudolf Janish, the inventors of this technology, put it to the test against Fragile X syndrome. The paper is entitled, Rescue of Fragile X Syndrome Neurons by DNA Methylation Editing of the FMR1 Gene, and this was published in 2018 in the journal Cell. They start by testing out their demethylation technology in Fragile X Syndrome IPSCs. Remarkably, demethylating the trinucleotide repeat led to a 90% recovery in FMR1 gene expression. This RNA was translated to protein as the authors saw increased levels of FMRP, nearly a three-quarter recovery. Wow, I find this extremely impressive. Once the authors saw this incredible result, they wondered whether their treatment was working the way they thought it did. So, the authors used a bisulfite approach to assess the methylation status of the trinucleotide repeats and the CPG island promoter. Bisulfite treatment alters cytosine nucleotides that are not methylated. When coupled with sequencing, this technique allows one to determine whether a nucleotide is methylated or not. What the authors found was pretty remarkable. The treatment nearly abrogated the methylation status of the trinucleotide repeat. It went from 100% methylated all the way down to 4%. Next, they looked at the CPG island promoter. This is where it gets really interesting. Even though the treatment was not designed to demethylate the CPG island promoter, it reduced near-complete methylation down to wild-type levels. Now, an important question that always comes up with gene therapy is, are there off-target effects? To address this, the authors perform an anti-Cas9 chip-seq experiment, which yielded a lot more hits than just the FMR1 gene. However, it is important to remember that this technology is demethylating. So, because only a fraction of these chip-seq hits have methylated promoters, the actual number of potential off-targets is much smaller. To locate these potential off-target genes, the authors cross-referenced the hits from the CHIP-seq experiment against a list of genes with known methylated promoters. This clever approach narrowed their search down to six potential off-target genes. They then assessed the methylation status of these genes following treatment. Decreased methylation was found in two of the genes. However, when the authors looked at the functional impact of this demethylation by qPCR, they hardly saw any induction of gene expression. 
why fMR1 is induced but not these genes remains under investigation. To corroborate these findings, the authors took a genome-wide approach and looked at the methylation status of every hit from their ChIP-seq experiment. With this approach, the authors found a lot more than just two demethylated genes, indicating that the first approach was somewhat biased, which is expected because gene annotation is never perfect. Anyway, of these demethylated genes, fMR1 appeared to be the main one being targeted. It had more demethylated sites than any other gene. To assess the functional impact of these demethylation events, the authors used another genome-wide approach, RNA sequencing. Of the demethylated genes, fMR1 was the only one with significantly induced gene expression. Interestingly, there appear to have been some genes with induced expression that did not have any change in methylation. However, the authors do not delve into this. They conclude that there's some off-target demethylation, but minimal functional consequence. The next question the authors ask is one I find particularly interesting. How does demethylating these trinucleotide repeats lead to fMR1 derepression? The authors don't flush out this entire mechanism, but they do note an important observation. By looking at histone marks associated with active chromatin through ChIP-seq, the authors noted that CGG demethylation promoted active chromatin in a relatively fMR1-specific manner. How exactly this happens will require additional investigation. Anyway, the authors went on to ask another question that is important to consider when designing a gene therapy. Is the effect durable? To approach this, the authors performed a time course experiment. They found that fMR1 was first induced nine days following treatment and peaked around three weeks. This kinetics experiment suggests that the treatment would be long-lasting in vivo. Now, up until this point in the manuscript, all of the experiments and assays have been done in inducible pluripotent stem cells. However, we humans don't have iPSCs in our brains. We have neurons. So, they treat iPSCs and then differentiate them into neurons. They found that the effect of the treatment persisted. fMR1 and fMRP were still induced, and there were minimal off-target effects. Importantly, the authors also performed a functional assay in the differentiated neurons. Specifically, they used an electrophysiological assay. As expected, the untreated neurons had a relatively high firing rate, which was expected because they lack fMRP that suppresses neuron hyperexcitability. In neurons that receive the demethylation treatment, the neuron hyperexcitability was completely ameliorated. The firing rate was no different from that of a wild-type neuron. This outcome is really good news. Now, the authors want to know if fMR1 derepression is sustained in vivo following transplantation. So, they treat their iPSCs, differentiate them into neuroprogenitor cells, and then transplant them into one-day-old mice. At the one- and three-month time points following transplantation, they harvest the mouse brains, do some histology, and then stain the sections for fMRP. And what do you know? 
they see fMRP expression co-localizing with the treated neurons. Thus, fMRP derepression is sustained in vivo. For the final experiment in the manuscript, the authors asked whether the demethylation technology worked in fully differentiated neurons. The levels of fMR1 and fMRP that were induced following treatment were relatively small compared to what was seen in iPSCs. The extent of demethylation achieved at the trinucleotide repeat, as well as the CPG island promoter, was also relatively low. Importantly, however, in the electrophysiological functional assay, the treated neurons had normal activity. This discrepancy suggests that wild-type fMRP levels are not required for wild-type neuronal activity. So, to summarize this truly awesome report, the authors used their novel gene therapy technology to relatively specifically demethylate the CGG trinucleotide repeats in the 5' untranslated region of the FMR1 gene. Demethylation of this repeat expansion surprisingly led to demethylation of the CPG island promoter, as well as the presence of active histone marks. Ultimately, these epigenetic alterations led to transcription and translation of FMR1 and FMRP. This approach was effective in iPSCs as well as neurons. Importantly, the treatment ameliorated neuronal hyperexcitation. Additionally, the treatment was long-lasting. Even in vivo, the effect was durable out to at least three months. This was a really well-done paper. The effect size of the treatment was so large, the authors didn't even use statistics to measure significance. It was that robust. This study has raised a very important question, a question that is important to the entire genetics field. And that is, how does demethylation of one region of the genome lead to demethylation of another distal region of the genome? I'll leave you all to ponder that one for a bit. Alrighty, time for another Things I've Learned segment. Given that many of you listening are probably on lockdown during the COVID-19 global pandemic, I want to share some advice that you all can take action on right now. And that is, learn bioinformatics. I can't stress it enough. I started working full-time in academia in 2015, and since then, I have seen the remarkable proliferation of next-generation sequencing. It is ubiquitous, across fields. We are in the big data age, folks, and it's only going to get bigger. If you want to be able to analyze your own data, and trust me, you do, you must become competent in computer science, statistics, and the art of data wrangling. Take courses at school. Take free online classes. And when you have big data to analyze for a project, commit to doing it yourself rather than going with the quick and easy alternative of outsourcing. This is the advice I wish I had earlier on in my career. But what matters is that I'm doing the work now. No matter if you are a high school student, a first year graduate student, a postdoc, or even professor, start doing a little every day. This practice will lead to massive growth over time and pay dividends. And who knows, you might even enjoy it. And with that, another episode down. Thank you all for listening. 
If you liked what you heard, feel free to write us a review or share this episode with a friend. Let's spread science. Thank you.